Central. Welcome back to Brick and Glass. My name's Kate. I'm Sai. And I'm Abby. We are part of Central's broadcast journalism team, Central Intelligence. Our goal is to give you audio journalism that will broaden your worldview beyond Central. On this episode, we covered the effect of music on health, Josh Hawley's social media addiction bill, and women in politics. Stay tuned for these stories coming up on Brick and Glass. how music can help recovering patients. It is a still morning in Springfield, Missouri, where patients are being impacted at Cox Health. Liz Moriando has a passion for music and has found a way to share it. Musicians on Call is a nonprofit organization that brings the healing power of music to patients, bedside. My job is I am a musician, so I currently volunteer with the program, and I volunteered with the program for four years in Nashville. The thing that is really special about Musicians on Call is it's a one-on-one intimate moment with each patient individually. Walking the halls of the hospital, listening in, is Kaylin Lambert, Director of Patient Experience at Cox Health. I think there's a lot behind the program. It's not just to offer music, but it's to decrease their anxiety while they're here, get them to focus on something other than maybe the diagnosis they got that day or the test they're waiting on. It's to help the experience, so patient experience is one of the things that we monitor, and so how can we make it better when they're here in our hospital. It also has actual physical, biological changes that occur in the patient. Their heart rate drops, their blood pressure goes down, a lot of things that actually show up physically and biologically that mean something that the music is really working for them. Music is said to be the universal language and Teresa Cowan, nurse manager, has experienced this firsthand. Everybody can relate to it. It doesn't matter if you understand what's being uh, saying or in a different language. It's just the tone of the music, and I think it's just something that anybody can relate to. I've had patients uh, ask about having people come in and play the music for them while they've been there. Staff ask if they could have it every day and every night, all the time on the floor. And so I just think it impacts the whole atmosphere. My goal is for those two to three minutes to take that patient's mind off of whatever maybe bad news they got that day or whatever surgery they are recovering from or whatever pain they're experiencing. So it really does have powerful effects on people. Uh, Whether you think they can hear it or not, they can. They can feel it. To volunteer and show the love of music, visit musiciansoncall.org. Signing off for Brick and Glass, this has been Kate Steingraber reporting. Sai uncovers the possible effects of Josh Hawley's SMART bill. On July 30th of this year, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley introduces Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology Act, also known as the SMART Act. The bill plays off of the increased awareness of social media use in teens. According to the Pew Research Center, 60% of teens say that spending too much time online is a problem in their age group. 
I talked to Molly Gray, the IB psychology teacher at Central High School, to learn what may have inspired Holly's bill. Social media, based on numerous studies that have been um, going on in the past like 10 years or so, has been shown to have detrimental effects on especially teen mental health. Long term, um, social media use with that social comparison uh, going on can really weigh on a person and, and lead to uh, depressive behaviors if there's a constant social comparison going on. Dr. Dan Ponder, the professor and director of the Metter Center for Politics and Citizenship at Drury University, gave me more insight on the details of the bill and its implications. The bill aims at trying to limit screen time, basically, is really what it comes down to. There's a lot of things, and there's like, like with all bills, there are various exceptions and so forth. And it does try to do a couple other things, but the main thing is it tries to limit uh, screen time. Um, the underlying uh, assumption seems to be that um, people in general, and certainly young people in particular, are addicted to screen time. There is some um, disagreement about whether or not, you know, how much uh, social media addiction there is, if it's even a thing. Uh, and but you know like almost any political issue you have people on both sides of that i talked to john georgiatis and sophie dawson a central high senior and sophomore respectively though they lay on opposite sides of the political spectrum they came to similar conclusions on the bill and how they think it may impact chs students so for me as a person who uses social media every day it would create a little bit of a barrier to what i do of course Sending streaks every morning on Snapchat, that might not be a possibility anymore. Um, on Instagram, it actually might help me because I know I definitely get into the scrolling loop. But at the same time, it, it restricts a lot of the markets we have for advertising and a lot of other things that free speech is uh, important. Well, I do think it sets a good tone for like trying to monitor social media use and recognizing that it is an issue. I think it might get pe more people talking about that, which is good. However, again, just like how Apple and social media apps on their own have talked about increasing screen time, like having you be able to put on yourself limits, it hasn't really done much. So I don't think it is going to have any effect on us. But the fact that this hasn't even gone anywhere except to the committee and has gotten uh, national attention, that, that's, that says a lot, I think, about where the impact might go, but probably isn't going to be a lot of formal impact in terms of, okay, this is the law, and now this is what you social media companies have to do. Signing off for Brick and Glass, this has been Sai Buddha reporting. To celebrate the anniversary of women's right to vote, Abby talked to women in politics. With the 2020 election quickly approaching, the focus of the country is turning into a political mindset. The multiple women candidates in the running, along with the anniversary of the 19th Amendment, has encouraged citizens to reflect on the role of women in politics in the past, present, and future. Currently, women hold just 27.6% of statewide elective executive offices. I sat down with three local powerhouses in politics who happen to be women to discuss their thoughts on this topic. As a political junkie myself, I was incredibly excited and could not wait to hear what they had to say. 
I started with Norma Champion, a former Missouri senator and representative who worked in politics for more than a decade during the turn of the 21st century. She explained the hardships that she faced while establishing herself with the government officials around her. It wasn't that, that they didn't think that women were capable, the, the male leadership. It's just they weren't as used to working with them. And uh, there was this, um, we'll sort of bring you up on, what, on how to vote and what to do kind of thing with an attitude that they'll guide us along because we're women. And uh, it was just a matter of, of not being used to working with women. Mm -hmm. uh, the Senate's always been called a good old boys club, and uh, senators before term limits were there for a long, long time, and there weren't very many women. And even when I was there, there were not very many women in the Senate. But it was not a matter of not being willing to work with us. It was a matter of change, and we're seeing the change, and you won't see it like I saw it. Then I chatted with Joelle Cannon, a former budget specialist on Capitol Hill, who is currently the district director for Missouri Senator Roy Blunt. She detailed her advice on how she proved herself and found a way into the so-called boys club that is politics. What gave me the advantage when I worked on Capitol Hill was that I, I became a budget expert and my work spoke for itself. So I would show up and I was the only one in the room who knew the answers to the questions. And so senators, both Democrats and Republicans, would turn to me in a room of 15 people and ask me for the answer. And they did that because I knew the answer. And I was... Um... Finally, I sat down with Representative Crystal Quaid, who is the House Minority Leader in the Missouri Congress. She was excited to meet with me in the hustle and bustle of a local coffee shop to discuss her views on the fight that women have had to make to have a seat at the political so, table. Simply having everybody at the table, and that goes beyond just genders, but races and economic backgrounds, is so important to um, comprehensive policy that can really address all of the needs of Missourians. Also, just representation matters, and when you see more people achieving something or in a leadership role, it's easier for you to picture yourself in that position. So when all we see is white men, you know, who are in leadership roles, it's much harder for people of color or women um, to visualize themselves in that setting. Um, and so the more women we have elected, the more that's going to increase. Encouraging you to be politically mindful, this has been Abby Weiler reporting. Thanks for tuning in into this edition of Breaking Glass. We are a production of Central High School's broadcast journalism team, Central Intelligence. To find this and other episodes, check out Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever podcasts are found. See you next time.